0: so we're going to be looking at the christ child the title of the message that i gave it from luke 2 verses 1 through 20 and we find a god-ordained decree In verses 1 through 3, the house of bread, 4 through 7, and angelic birth announcement, 8 through 14, and glorifying and praising God, verses 15 through 20. We begin reading in Luke 2, verses 1 through 3, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This first took place when, while... Corinnaeus was governor in Syria, and all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. So Luke has written two of the books of the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, and also the Book of Acts. Luke was a physician, and he traveled with the Apostle Paul, and in writing this Gospel, well, he tells the person that he wrote it to, his name originally, Theophilus, that name meaning Lover of God. But Luke tells Theophilus that in Luke 1 verse 2, that, well, let's back up to verse 1, and as much as many have taken in hand to set in order the narrative of those things which are most surely believed among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. And then in verse 3, he says, it seemed good to me also having a perfect understanding of all the things from the first, to write to you an orderly account, O most excellent Theophilus. So Luke, we know that he was a physician according to Scripture, but also he he was like a newspaper reporter in the sense that he gathered the information, he put together this narrative to us, and he tells us that these things are surely believed. And he wrote this orderly account by eyewitnesses, no doubt interviewing the eyewitnesses, talking to Mary um, and others who would have known the accounts of Jesus and how he was born there in Bethlehem. He also was a man who loved to timestamp his material. In both Luke and Acts, we find that he'll mention names as we just read, that of Caesar Augustus and that of Quirinius. He mentions names that gives historical timestamps to his writing and giving us the surety that what is being written is true. He put a date on the time of his writing for Caesar Augustus. He ruled as the Rome's first emperor from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D. And it was during this time that it was known as the Pax Romana, it means the Roman peace, that they were pretty much in a state of peace in the Middle East. There was still Rome trying to grow their empire. There were still wars going on in the outskirts. And even in Israel at this time, there was an uprising that had taken place. But at the time of Jesus' birth, there was relative peace while he came to the earth. And he gives us a, a timestamp and he gives this inconvenient census. Now, the census has not really been discovered by the historians. They say there's never any census like this that Caesar called everyone to go to their homeland, uh, the place where they were born, to be registered. We can't find the information. But Luke, again, he writes of this in Acts 5.37, when he told about a time when there was trouble in Israel, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the senses and he drew many people after him, meaning that he led a rebellion against the Romans in the day of the senses. Now the historians say we can't find any document of the census, so this is clearly evidence that this is not true, that the gospel is not true. But they also used to say that there was no such person as Pontius Pilate. Why did they say that? They said because we can't find any evidence there was any person ever named Pilate who judged over the area of Israel, who was the governor of that area of Judea, And we know that Pontius Pilate was there whom Jesus stood before right before he went to the cross. Well, they used to say we can't find any evidence of him. But one day when they were working in Caesarea, they pulled out a block of limestone and they discovered an inscription on it that mentioned Pontius Pilate. So what had happened is that he was no longer governor. It's just like here in the state of Illinois, Blagojevich was the governor of Illinois. He was disgraced. He went to jail. He used to, when you went down 294, you had these big banners over the tollway that had his name on it. He was proud to be the governor of Illinois, and he wanted everyone on the uh, six-lane highway. Now I think it's an eight-lane highway, but everyone to see that I'm the governor but you don't see his name over the highway anymore. It's like, you're not governor anymore. Let's just take that one down. And that's what happened with Pontius Pilate. They actually found it built into a wall, but they turned it around, put it in backwards. It's like, it's still a good stone, but we just don't like what's written on the other side of it, so we'll just hide it in this wall. And also, Professor Forster ...from the Hebrew University in Jerusalem in 1968 and 69... ...they discovered a stamping ring. And so they used to put a seal upon uh, official documents. Uh, So they called it a stamping ring. You'd put the wax down and you'd put your seal on it with your ring. And they found this stamping ring with a picture of a wine vessel... ...surrounded by Greek writing that said politus. And it's believed to be the ring of the governor, Pontius Pilate, who ruled in that area from AD 26 to 36. So the timing of his ruling was perfect with the Jesus Christ going to the cross. So I'm not too worried about when historians say, well, we can't find information on that. It can't be true. Just like you haven't discovered it yet. It's there. Keep looking. One day you may discover it. But it's important for us to note that God put it in Caesar's heart to make this census because he knew that he needed to get Mary, a very pregnant Mary, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And this was the way that God ordained it to take place. Proverbs 21.1 tells us the king's heart is turned by the hand of the Lord. And like rivers of water, he turns it whichever way he wishes. And so God used Caesar's decree to get Joseph to take a very pregnant Mary to Bethlehem. Now, they went to Bethlehem. The name of Bethlehem translated means house of bread. So in 4 and 5, we find that Jesus was from the house and the lineage of David. And Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth to Judea, out of the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now we talked about this last week, that both Mary and Joseph were from the line of David. They both descended from the kingly line of David, but through two different sons. Mary came from the son of Nathan, and Joseph came from the son of Solomon. Now Solomon's line was technically the kingly line, but Jeconiah was cut off he was so wicked that God said you'll have no son sit on the throne over Judah it's not going to happen and that is the line that Joseph was come from so Joseph being the stepdad to Jesus uh, gave him the legal heir of the throne but Mary being a direct descendant through Nathan from David gave him the bloodline of David And the census caused Joseph, as I said, to take Mary to leave their home to travel about 80 to 100 miles. And I know you're thinking, that's not bad, 80, 100 miles, we can do that in an hour and a half, depending on how fast or slow you're driving, two hours, not bad. Well, they didn't have transportation like that. And many times they walked, a normal day's journey was 20 miles um so just imagine if they did that so we're gonna go it's gonna take us four days to get there if it's 80 miles five days to get there if it's 100 miles if we're doing an average normal walk was mariana donkey we don't know was she walking we don't know we know she was very pregnant i'm sure she wasn't sprinting to bethlehem in that sense so it may have taken them several days just to get there. And not only was Jesus to be born a virgin, according to Isaiah seven fourteen, born in Bethlehem, according to Micah five two, but he was to be of the tribe of Judah, according to Genesis forty nine, ten, of the house and lineage of David, according to 2 Samuel seven, eleven through sixteen. All these things have been prophesied in Scripture far in advance of the birth of Jesus Christ, that it might be known that God gives us warning or gives us information to confirm the words spoken to us through the Bible, through the prophets, and through those who transmit the message of the Bible. So the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, 1 through 17, it presents Jesus as the royal heir to the throne of David by right of adoption by Joseph, who was of the house of David. And Luke 3, verses 23 through 38, presents Jesus the non-royal heir, but the blood heir through Mary, who was of the lineage of David. But when they got to Bethlehem, we know this common account of the Christmas account, 6 and 7. So it was that while they were there, the days were complete for her to deliver. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. There was no room for them in the inn. So last year, if you recall, if you were with us, Pastor Kevin taught about the inn possibly being a lower floor in a home. And so not some stable, some barn out in the middle of nowhere, but Maybe a lower section of the home, this is what I found written about this, and maybe Kevin found this same thing. The Greek word translated as "in" kataluma is the Greek word. The Greek word translated as "in" could be translated as guest room. This has, in fact, led some to believe that Jesus may have been not born in a stable or a barn or a cave, as some have said, but in a house in the lower floor serving as a nighttime shelter for the family's animals. If that were the case, it wouldn't be surprising to find a manger located in the area of that home. So, you know, people used to keep animals. When I used to go visit my grandfather down in southern Illinois, he maybe only had an acre or so of land, but he kept animals on that land. He would butcher his own pigs and put them in the smokehouse and take care of that and always had chickens and fresh eggs and uh, I guess every once in a while fresh chickens to eat as well. Uh, He was accustomed to doing that. In the morning he'd go out and check his traps to see what kind of meat we might have for breakfast. So it could be rabbit or squirrel for breakfast. It was just that's how they lived. And maybe if inflation keeps going the way it is. We might be setting traps and wondering what we're going to be having for breakfast one of these days and going back to the old ways. So it wouldn't be unusual to have a lower room that would act as a stable at night to bring the animals in, but not part of the main house. But also we learn that Jesus came from heaven's glory, not as a man, but as a babe. Jesus, the great high priest of God, was... Not clothed in priestly linen, but in swaddling cloths. Jesus, the King of glory, was not born in a king's palace, but in a lowly manger he was laid. Jesus, the creator of the world, was not welcomed by the throngs of humanity, but was birthed in seclusion in a stable there in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you were little among the household of Judah, yet out of you shall rise and come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. Mark Strauss stated in his book, Four Portraits, One Jesus, so talking about the four Gospels. He said this The central theme of the birth narrative is the arrival of God's salvation the fulfillment of his promise to Israel. So Jesus, he was from the right nation. He was from the right tribe, the right family, and birthed in the right city. But there's also an angelic birth announcement in verses 8 through 14. And though an emperor, a governor, a king, and an innkeeper were all unaware of the Messiah's coming, his birth did not happen without several supernatural birth announcements that had taken place. Jesus' birth was the subject of prophecy, as I've already mentioned. While Matthew tells us of a fulfillment of another prophecy involving a star and some wise men, Luke tells us of an angelic announcement that came to some shepherds who were near Bethlehem on that night of his birth. So 8 and 9 we read, There were in the same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flock, And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were greatly afraid. It has long been argued that the shepherds would not have been tending their sheep in the fields during winter. Well, let me first say that we don't know the date of Jesus' birth. We celebrate on December 25th, but historically it's not written in Scripture when Jesus was born. Some uh, related to the fall festivals of Israel, some to the spring festivals. We have no idea. So we can't rightly say it was winter time there, but you know, their winter is kind of like hanging out in California during the winter time. Unless you're in the mountains, you won't see snow, and you might even, when Lily and I and the kids lived out in California in 92. We came straight from Illinois in the fall, right out to California, never stopped swimming in the ocean. Every Sunday afternoon, it seemed like we'd head down to the beach, we'd swim. Not too many people were swimming in the ocean. It was great. It was too cold for those Southern California folks, but not for people who were born and bred. Well, at least I was born in Illinois, Lily in Mexico, but uh, living in Illinois it was no problem for us now I would say after being there a year plus the next winter we didn't do much swimming in the ocean we had been converted and uh, no longer liked the cool water in the winter time so their winter not quite like our winter there in Israel you go to Israel and um, you see palm trees not pine trees in that area it's very dry area and so That's one argument that we could have concerning this, that, well, their winter is not like our winter. But Roy Swartz, who was with us from Chosen People's Ministry a few years ago, taught that there could be another thing that had taken place here, that perhaps these were the shepherds of the lambs that were set aside for the temple sacrifice. The temple in Israel at the time, and it was still there at the time, Every morning and every evening they had to offer a sacrificial lamb. One in the morning, one in the evening. And so it could be that the shepherds who were abiding by their flocks in the field were perhaps uh, watching over the sheep that were being bred and prepared for the temple sacrifices that they would symbolically then represent, one author wrote, The Messiah, these lambs representing the Messiah in cleanness and perfection, uh, their sacrifice on the altar, and giving it a depth of meaning, if true, that these shepherds, if they were watching over the lambs that would be offered there in the temple, then would go see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We can't know that for sure, but it's an interesting thing to ponder. But seeing an angel with God's glory shining upon them, it caused the shepherds to be greatly afraid. Matthew 24:42 tells us, Watch therefore you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. And it was true for the shepherds. They had no idea what was going on in Bethlehem, but they had this great angelic birth announcement given to them personally where we'll read in a moment a whole host of heaven was saying glory to god in the highest we too do not know the time of our lord's coming it should cause us as they were not prepared for the lord at his first coming it should cause us to be prepared for the lord and his second coming we must watch so the angels said in verses 10 through 12 do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So the angels, when they came to bring God's word to God's people, they first Calmed their fears. This is pretty common when angels would appear to people, whether male or female in scripture, we find that they were often afraid, terrified. You might think that, no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't react that way. Just ask the Lord and show you an angel. Maybe you'd have a whole different opinion. I remember, whether this is true or not, one man saying uh, he wanted to see a demon. And the Lord, in his prayers, Lord, I just want to see a demon. He was allowed that privilege. He said, that was a foolish prayer. I'll never pray that prayer again. Now, I don't know if that was true or not, but sometimes you might give more than you bargained for. Here they were afraid, and that's usually the reaction. He calmed their fears they said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. So as angels do, they calm their fears. They told them of the place where they were to be born. But they also said of Jesus three specific things, that he is Savior, he is Zoter in the Greek. He is Savior, it means one who saves or one who delivers. And Psalm fourteen seven said, Oh that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. The salvation of Israel has come out of Zion. He is Savior. He was born as a child, laid in a manger there in Bethlehem. His name is Jesus Christ. He is Zoter, Savior. He is also Christos, or Christ. The anointing, anointed one, or Messiah, is how that Greek word is translated. And in Psalm 2, 2, the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, that anointed, In the Hebrew, the anointed, the same translation of the anointed one or Messiah, Christos in the Greek, he is the Christ and the kings of the earth. There at Jesus' first coming, King Herod set himself against, we aren't going to go through that, but he tried to kill baby Jesus as we know the Christmas story, we're not going to look at that today. But the kings of the earth did set themselves against the Messiah. And they did so at the end of the Lord's reign in the sense of his earthly body when he was hung on the cross. And Rome and Judaism came together to see that the Messiah was crucified. Truly the kings of the earth set themselves against him. The rulers took counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. So he is Zoter, he is Christos, he is also Kyrios or Lord And that means to be supreme in authority. And it can be that those who would have a a curiosity, we'd say master, savior, Lord, owner. Another way, he is the owner. In Luke 20, 42 and 43, now David himself said in the book of the Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord said to my Lord, the Curios, he is Lord. The sign the angels gave to the shepherds concerning the Messiah's birth that they would find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger there in the city of David. And suddenly, verses 13 and 14, there was this heavenly host there were with the angel, A multitude of heavenly hosts praising God saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Now we often translate this as the angels singing. They may have been singing. It says they were saying, they could have just been uh, quoting it in unison together. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. No matter the case, whether they were speaking these words or singing these words to be those shepherds, watching over a flock in the middle of the night to see one angel and then to see a whole heavenly host declaring the glories of God, it had to be overwhelming for them. In Revelation 5.13, it says, Every creature who is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and are such in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing, glory, glory, In honor and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. One day all the heavenly hosts will give praise to the Lord. On that night, it was the heavenly hosts of heaven giving praise to God to a world that were really unaware of the Messiah's coming. They declared not only glory to God, but peace on earth. And peace is the hope of all humanity, it seems. That people are always, why can't we just have world peace? Well, it can only be found through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2, 14 and 15, it says, For He Himself is our peace, for He has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that is, the law of the commandment contained in the ordinances, so to create in himself, one new man from the two, thus making peace. So that the two is speaking about the Gentiles and the Jews, that Jesus Christ broke down that wall of separation to make one in unity believers in Jesus Christ. That he, They sang or spoke glory to God. They said, peace on earth, but also goodwill toward men. God's goodwill. Well, God, it tells us in 2 Peter 3.9 that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he did so. He extended his goodwill by sending his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16. We know that the greatest Christmas gift ever given was God sending forth his only begotten son, who is Christ. Savior and Lord, the Prince of Peace, who is worthy of our praise. And finally, we look at 15 through 20 of Luke chapter 2. So the angels said to one another in verses 15 through 16. So it was when the angels, the shepherds said this, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go now to Bethlehem to see this thing that has just come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Though the shepherds had received the angelic birth announcement, they'd seen the heavenly host proclaim glory to God in the highest, they had to go and to verify it with their own eyes. Let's go see this thing that had been proclaimed to us. And that is true for all of us. We hear the word of God being proclaimed, We find that prophetically there is truth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Historically, we discover that things that were spoken in the Bible where historians will look at it and say, Pontius Pilate, he never existed. Therefore, we cannot believe the Bible. And then they discover a stone and a ring in Israel that has both the stone and his ring, has Pontius Pilate's name on it. And they say, we, but still can't believe the Bible. Yeah, I know we found those things. We have historical evidence. We have the written word. But the shepherds had to go in order to see it with their own eyes. And sometimes we too must follow the revelation of God's word spoken to us and confirmed in the Bible. It could come through the preacher. It could come through a brother or sister in Christ telling you the truth of the God word of god it can be confirmed in scripture itself but we have to step forward in faith like the shepherds they had to go to bethlehem we have to take those steps of faith for ourselves that we'll be able to understand the will of god for our lives the word of god tells us in Ephesians 2:10 that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so they went. And when they had seen him, verses 17 and 18, they made widely known the saying that was told them concerning the child, and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. The shepherds had the privilege of being the first to testify of the birth of Jesus Christ to others. All the shepherds had to do was to repeat The words that was given them by the angel, by the heavenly host, and which they had seen with their own eyes, seeing the Christ child there in the manger, there in Bethlehem. All they had to do was repeat the information given to them, and they went forth and they shared the good news with others. And God is still calling those who have heard the gospel message, who have verified its truth historically and spiritually, those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, to make widely known the salvation of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So sometimes you read a portion of Scripture, you're younger, you read it, and you think, oh, that's cool, it's the Word of God. And then there's other times it begins to... Kind of give you a mission. You've come to this certain age. I'm one. I'm going to read you a verse that didn't have a lot of great meaning to me 30 years ago, but has a lot more meaning to me now. In Psalm 71:17 and 18, the psalmist says, "O God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works." Now I had that when I 30 years ago. I would say, yes, Lord, this is true for me. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, now it takes on new application. So I have some gray up in my head, but my beard gives it all away. As my daughter-in-law told me just a few years ago, you know if you'd shave that off, you would look a lot younger. It's like, I know that. But what she doesn't know, I'll just tell you the Pinnell curse he for my sister, Helen, if I shave this off, there's a gobbleneck neck being hidden underneath here. <laughs> so it's a good way to hide the sagging uh, chin that's taken place. So I think I'll keep it going. <laughs> Grow it longer. It might be a race of what gets longer. <laughs> Verse 18. So now when I am old and gray headed, oh God, I do not forsake me until... I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. And here the psalmist in his old age, he says, I want to let the next generation know. I want to declare to this generation. And this has taken on a whole new meaning to me. I'm very concerned about the 20-something, the 30-somethings today, about getting the truth of the Word of God to them. So we too... Like the shepherds, they had to, they heard the word being proclaimed by the angels. They had to go and see to verify what was spoken to them, if it was true or not. Once they saw, they went forth to declare the message. Of Christ to make it widely known and we once we come to faith in Jesus Christ should have that same mission we verify the word through the study of God's word and gain an understanding of God's word but we share the truth that's been given to us we are to make widely known the salvation of God through faith in Jesus Christ but Mary the word tells us in 19 and 20 Mary kept all these things she pondered them in her heart Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So after sharing the Messiah with others, the shepherds returned to their fields. They were glorifying God. They were praising God. But Mary, she kept, she had a deeper understanding of these things. She pondered these things. So she kept them. In the Greek, it means to preserve or to keep safe. To ponder means to throw together or to put it in order. And so she was, in her mind, putting the events together, maybe putting uh, prophecies from the Old Testament together. They didn't have the New Testament at that time. Putting the events together. She had her, her own angelic birth announcement as Gabriel came to her. But also Gabriel came to her cousin, Zacharias, And she had the words of her cousin Elizabeth, the prophetic words of Zacharias spoken after their son's birth, that of John the Baptist. She had also Joseph, who had seen an angel in the dream and would see other angels as well. She had the account of the shepherds, and soon the Magi would come from the east to worship the Christ child. Mary had much to keep, much to ponder, much to put in order in her heart. During the first Christmas, Zacharias, Elizabeth, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, and soon the magi in the narrative account, would all give praise to the coming of Jesus Christ. They would all have the privilege to testify of Jesus Christ. And this Christmas, we too can participate in sharing the message of this gospel, the message of salvation with others for truly Christ our Lord our Savior has been born in the city of David. Galatians 4, 4, and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born of a virgin, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. May we also make widely known the salvation of God that is available through faith in Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you, Lord, this Christmas morning for the church to gather together to worship you, to set aside this time for many in our nation, Lord, and for us as well. It's a time for family to get together, to enjoy one another's company, to have a Christmas meal together, to exchange gifts. But Lord, it's also a day where we are reminded, here's your church, the day, Lord, that you gave the greatest gift that's ever been given. As you sent your only begotten son, born as a babe, who would grow to be a man. And after three years of ministry on this earth, Lord, he would be put to death. But the grave could not hold him. The grave could not contain him. He resurrected from the grave three days later. And today he offers victory to all who put their faith in his name. Christ Jesus, we need such a gift. We need such a victory this day. I pray, Lord, for those who have never opened that gift of Christ, never received Christ as their Savior, today would be the day that they receive that gift that's been given by the Father. For those, Lord, who have strayed away from the faith and you are calling them back, you know what's going on in their heart. You've been calling them home. May today be that day that they return to you in life-saving faith.